Uh, would you uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13? If uh, you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab one under the chairs in front of you. You can find Matthew 13 on page 795. I'll be reading one of Jesus' parables in uh, a couple of minutes. I said this in the first service. Uh, I know I haven't seen some of you since my uh, return from summer sabbatical. Um, looking forward to reconnecting in the hallway or at the church picnic. Uh, but one of the things that we've put on the calendar, because um, summer sabbatical for a pastor to be away for 10 weeks is uh, not something uh, in the life of the church that we typically experience together. On September 18th, Uh, the week after the town hall at the 10 a.m. hour, um, we will have just what we have tended to call in the past a Q&A with pastor. And so um, that's an opportunity for you to, if you're curious at all about what I did on the sabbatical, um, what it's about, how I spend my time, what uh, I learned, um, what I gleaned from Scripture, uh, whatever it may be, whether it's logistical or, or deeply theological, if you're curious, that's an opportunity for us to just uh, sit and chat, and um, that's on Sunday, September 18th. Well, the summer is ending, and we are spending a few weeks wrapping up, uh, in a sense, the summer series. This wasn't intended from the very beginning, but Josh led us on uh, an eight-week journey through 1 Corinthians 13, titled, What's Love Got to Do With It? And instead of inserting something new um, at the very end of the summer, I decided to use that as a foundation and uh, steal his sermon graphic and interact with this idea of love. Uh, What does it mean for us to be lovers? Love one another, we talked about last Sunday, was Jesus' last command. He was spending the evening with His disciples on the night He was betrayed, on the night before He went to the cross. And um, last week we said, on the basis of that, first, or that last command, that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, then Jesus would say that at the core of your identity is this label, you are a true lover, or at least you should be. The question we asked was, what motivates your love? From John chapter 5, last Sunday's passage, we heard Jesus say that all of us chase after glory. The only question is, do we look for self-glory from other people or do we seek the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, Jesus himself? Do we look for purpose and significance and status and belonging from other people to fuel our own self-identity, or are we looking for that to come from outside of ourselves as a grace gift from God? True lovers are motivated by the glory of God alone. And this morning's question is this, what do you really love? What drives your heart? We'll start by reading one of Jesus' parables, but we'll be looking at a handful of passages uh, throughout our time. Listen carefully. Matthew 13, verse 44. These are God's words. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is God's word. Let's pray. 
Lord, we pray that you would reveal ultimate treasure to us. You've told us what it is. You've shown us how to access it by faith. And we pray for your spirit to give us greater spiritual clarity, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to long for what you perfectly desire us to have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First, um, I think I've used this in like seven different sermons. I guess I like this phrase. Let's talk about the anatomy of the heart. The anatomy of the heart. Discipleship is something we talk about a lot here at Grace Redeemer Church, but it's not some innovative church strategy that we've dreamed up. It's simply the process of following after Jesus. When Jesus, for example, called Matthew, the tax collector, to, um, to follow him, Um, with exactly those words, follow me, Matthew. He wasn't just inviting Matthew to go where he was going like a high school senior helping the lost freshman find her homeroom. Follow me had a much more significant um, sense to it as in follow my leadership, follow my way of life, imitate me, Jesus was saying. The earliest example in the Gospel of John shows up in John chapter 1, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and uh, two guys start following Jesus even before they've been invited. He turns around, verse 38, sees them following, and basically asks, why are you following me? Except his question is a little bit more penetrating than that. He asks, what do you want? First question of these soon-to-be disciples, what do you want? You're all here this morning, and many of you for various reasons. Most of you, I'd say, because I see you regularly, are here because you want to be here, because you call yourself a follower of Jesus, a disciple. You know you need grace. You know you need your heart and your mind recalibrated to God's truth, to God's heart of love, to God's will, and you've willingly chosen to give of your time on a Sunday morning. Others of you are here maybe because of a sense of obligation. A family or friend invited you, and um, maybe it's a family relationship that you want to honor. You don't want to cause friction. And so uh, what you want is peace. What you want is to maintain that friendship, and you're here, perhaps unwillingly, but you're here nevertheless. And, And others of you are here because there's something going on in your life. There's a burden. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe uh, it's uncertainty as to uh, why you're on this earth. Maybe it's a burden of guilt and shame that you feel. And this is a good first step because the gospel of Jesus Christ offers freedom and forgiveness. Freedom not politically, not socially. Freedom in, in the truest sense in that the gospel enables us to be free to become the the human beings that God created us to be, free from other people's opinions, free from others' expectations, free perhaps from an addiction, uh, a habit that has enslaved you. God has made it all possible through the life and death and resurrection of His Son. What, um, whatever reason you find yourself here, the key question that I'd like us to consider regularly asking ourselves is, what do I want? And even better, to hear Jesus asking you, 
as someone who has shown up in church, whether you are a disciple, a follower of Him or not. What do you want? We can label it desire, wants. It flows out of the heart. Scripture tells us repeatedly in all kinds of contexts that the heart is really the, the core of what, it, uh, uh, what makes us human. Uh, it's not necessarily our minds and what we think. It, uh, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, uh, for example, Jesus says. And um, I want you to notice something about Jesus' words. On the night He was betrayed, that last night with His disciples, He didn't say, last word, teach one another, study your theology, although that may have been an important exhortation for Him to share, but instead He said, love one another. At Jesus' words, when He uh, turns around in John chapter 1 and finds two guys following Him, He didn't say, what would you like to know from Me? I'm a teacher. How can I educate you? Fill in some gaps in your knowledge and learning and, and beliefs. He went right at the heart. What are you longing for? What are you missing that I can provide to satisfy the core of your being? Um, if you're around my age, I'm 44, plus or minus maybe six or seven years, you, um, you might share the experience of saying that you grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons. And um, this was before the age of Netflix and cable where you could watch any cartoon you wanted any time of the day on any device. Um, kids in, in my era, we, we watched it on Saturday mornings. And um, what interrupted the long string of Hanna-Barbera cartoons was um, a, a jingle which you will never be able to erase from the deep recesses of your brain. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? When the guy had this gravelly, sort of groovy voice, you know. Um, and w- another edu cartoon that accompanied it um, sort of freaked me out. I, did, I never liked the yellow egg guy with a top hat, bow tie, and cane who would instruct children watching Saturday morning cartoons that you are what you eat from your head down to your feet. That's the first time we ever heard the word carbohydrate uh, from the little yellow, uh, yellow egg guy. And, and if we were to look for a spiritual variation on that theme, this morning we would say, you are what you love from your head down to your feet. Your desires don't necessarily rule you, but your desires certainly shape you. They influence your, your decisions on life's paths. And vice versa, your desires reveal something pretty accurately about who you are. What do you want is the diagnostic question that is so important to ask yourself. What do you want, not just out of 75 minutes in a worship service, but what do you want out of life? What do you want from God if you're here in church? This is why King Solomon, in his instruction to his son early on in Proverbs, says, chapter 4, verse 23, strong words, above all else, my son, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Two absolutes that he uses, above all else, most important thing, everything flows from your heart. It's the center of our being. You might disagree with this statement. Uh, You might be surprised that I would... um, claim this to be true, but I think it largely is. 
most of us are unable to accurately and objectively answer the question, what do I love? Part of that story uh, of, of not knowing who we are is that we don't look under the hood all that often. We don't unpack our motives. We don't um, ask, why did I just do that? We, just, we, we tend to self-justify. We, we tend to blame other people. Um, we don't think about how the heart directs the will that shapes the mind, which circles back to influence the heart, and how all of those pieces of our inner beings play with each other. We react to what's around us. We go with the flow of culture, and we wake up the next day and do it all again. That's part of the story, I think. Another part of the story is the, the simple reality of sin's impact on our heart and mind and body, which is that it, it blinds, it deceives, and so we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We see other people's sin so easily, and we deny the reality of the sin in our own heart. We believe our love is more pure than it actually is. For, for those reasons and maybe many more, I don't think most of us can accurately, objectively really answer that question about ourselves. What do I love? What is it, what is it that um, rules my heart's desire and drives my decisions in life? Here's one way to begin to answer that question. What do I love? English novelist Jeff Dyer uh, says this, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. Hmm. In plain terms, I think he's saying what your heart wants shows up in your everyday life, in the mundane pattern of your existence. And we could put it another way. Um, instead of spinning your wheels, philosophizing, reading deep books, coming up with an image of yourself that probably is rosier than it really should be, all you really need to do to get at least a, a, a beginning, a start on knowing yourself is look at your calendar and uh, scan your credit card statement. The way we use our time and the way we spend our money tell a lot about our heart's desires, and especially your free time in your calendar. And if you say, I don't have much free time, um, that in itself demonstrates what you love. Maybe you're overworking, and you love the adulation of your coworkers. You love the recognition from your uh, higher-ups, or, or the salary, or the, the power that comes. Um, whatever it is, calendar and credit card statement or bank statement pretty typically reveals something about what our hearts love. When you daydream, when you find yourself thinking about anything other than life in the moment, whether it's because of dissatisfaction or boredom or suffering and you want relief, the root is a heart that desires, a heart that longs for more than it is currently experiencing. And you know, that's not in and of itself a bad thing because God created our hearts to desire, to long. And ever since sin entered the world, Genesis 3, and corrupted all things, our hearts naturally long for more than what we could experience in the here and now. You were created to have desire. Listen to uh, St. Augustine, who wrote a lot about his own heart's desires in his spiritual autobiography, Confessions. He, he said, A body by its weight tends to move towards its proper place, 
the weight's movement is not necessarily downwards, but to its appropriate position. So fire tends to move upwards, a stone downwards. They are acted on by their respective weights. They seek their own place. Oil poured underwater is drawn up to the surface on top of the water. Water poured on top of oil sinks below the oil. They are acted on by their respective densities. They seek their own place. Things which are not in their intended position are restless. Once they are in their ordered position, they are at rest. You know what he's saying? He's saying that our love has a gravitational pull to it. The object of our desire has this alluring, powerful, drawing-in effect. That's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't separate the two. What you long for is a reflection of your heart. And if you say your heart is about this, then your life should reflect what you long for in a Godward direction. Um, this fits one thing we talked about last Sunday in looking at the Old Testament word for glory. It's kavod, and it literally means weightiness. Um, Augustine would, uh, would, would call it density, uh, and, and he ca- talks about respective weights in this quote. Uh, something dense, whether it's a star in another galaxy uh, or an idol of the heart has this gravitational pull. The question is, does it have a glory, a weightiness, a significance that lasts? Or is it actually blown away by the wind? This is, I think, behind uh, the same dynamic as behind Paul's challenge in Colossians chapter 3. He says, uh, and he's writing to Christians, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ... They're still on earth, they're still living lives, but he's speaking of their identity, their spiritual position in Christ as if it has already been guaranteed and accomplished, because it has. Since then, you have been raised with Christ to newness of life. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because what your heart desires exerts a gravitational pull. And Paul is warning, in a sense, against the lure of material things that will pull us down and make us think, this is all there is. This is where I seek my glory. This is what my heart should properly desire, and therefore my my life follows. What do you love? It's pulling you towards it. Will it satisfy you? So last week we said, you're a glory seeker, whether you know it or not. The only question is, whose glory are you seeking? Your own from other people or that of another? And this morning's nugget would be, you are what you love. But until you love what you were created to love, until you receive and delight in the love that you were designed to enjoy forever, you cannot be satisfied. That leads us to uh, the title of a hymn. Uh, I, I didn't share this with John in time to make it possible for this morning. Love divine, all loves excelling. What is the highest of all loves? Back to our uh, original scripture reading. Let me read these uh, little par- uh, parables again from Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, 
When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, every time I read this first parable, I think to myself, was that ethical? <laughs> he found it, he buried it again, he ran off and, and made an offer on the land. But that's not what Jesus' uh, point is, is about at all. He's not concerned with property law, what happens when you dive to the bottom of the Atlantic and find the ship filled with gold, you know, whose is it? He's not interested in who actually owns the field um, and the transaction or who owns the pearl and whether they know the true value or not. Um, it, it's, it, but it's at the same time, we can't escape the, the nitty-gritty picture that Jesus is painting because he, he spoke in these parables partly to enable the people listening to relate. He used uh, commonplace examples from farming from the household to illustrate spiritual truths. So at some level, the, the listeners would have been thinking, well, I, lo- I own a plot of land, and I wonder what, what's buried in my field, and if somebody makes me a good offer for it. You'd think some of these neighbors would have started wondering what was going on when everything in this guy's house was up on Craigslist, and he was taking any cash offers, you know? Um, if it happened today, I think we'd be suspicious this guy's going to the Cayman Islands because he's hiding something, you know, money laundering. But Jesus' focus is solely on the person who finds this most valuable treasure and then does the only logical thing. He orients all, he devotes all of his life resources to gaining that ultimate treasure, to possessing it. Here's one of the keys that helps me dismiss these questions of what this guy should have done. I think Jesus is showing us the the reality of spiritual eyes that are able to discern things of the Spirit because this guy saw value where other people wouldn't have seen it. It wasn't tricking anybody. God gave them the ability to realize this was of inestimable value and nothing is more important. To lots of people, they don't get it. Back then and maybe today. Back then, the field doesn't seem that valuable. It's good for planting crops maybe. It's a little rocky. But he's acting like he knows something that Trulia, Zillow, the tax assessor's office, the experienced realtors in the area don't know. And so... If an early bid comes in at $25,000, well, this guy's not messing around. His hand goes up, $100,000. Going once, going twice, sold to the loser with the ear-to-ear grin who just foolishly paid, overpaid for this property, thinking he got the deal of a lifetime, which he actually did. (laughs) He's not sad. He's not duped. He has everything. And if I could paraphrase the missionary martyr Jim Elliot, this guy in the parable gained that which he cannot lose, eternal treasure, by giving up that which he could not keep, money and possessions. Another way of putting it is this, gaining the kingdom of heaven, Matthew's favorite phrase for heaven, 
everything of God's promises that will satisfy your deepest heart's desires. Gaining the kingdom of heaven is worth losing everything else for. That's what the parable is simply saying. What do you want? When your credit card statement and your calendar indicate you want things that lack real glory, that don't have weightiness, substance, then you won't see with eyes of faith that the plot of land is far more than dirt and rocks. You will place far greater value on other plots of land that are just that, dirt and rocks. You'll miss out on the emptiness um, of, of life. You'll experience the emptiness of life that stuff and other people and experiences and accomplishments can never fill. On the other hand, listen to author and professor Jamie Smith. He wrote this, Jesus' command to follow Him is a command to align our loves and longings with His, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God, and crave a world where He is all in all. Some people read that. Some people read Scripture and don't like the way it sounds because it sounds like self is set aside and it's only about what God wants. Self-identity, desires, orientation is irrelevant. It's unimportant. Only God is important. And if you came to that conclusion from hearing this quote, reading this quote, you'd absolutely be true. You'd be dead on. It's accurate. Because the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Sin is blinding and deceiving. And all too often when we don't even know our own hearts, we long for that which cannot satisfy. And when it's explicitly sinful, we are longing, desiring, wanting things that only lead to our death and destruction, that will only enslave us and not lead us to freedom. And so if it's all about God and His perfectly wise, loving, fatherly plan for His children, absolutely, set my heart aside, God. I don't know what I want, but you know perfectly, and I want you to provide it for me. What is true true treasure? How do I know it when I find it? You know, when Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven as being like great treasure and a pearl of great price, He's not talking about a place. He's not talking about some spiritual state that we can't define nor is he talking about a gift that God is going to hand over to you. Heaven is heaven because God is there. Heaven is heaven because one day, in the culmination of all things, God will be fully revealed for us to see face to face, and we will dwell in His presence forever. That's greatest treasure. So, when Jesus asks, what do you want? True lovers only have one answer. I want you, Jesus. I want everything you are and everything you have done, and I want a reality that is filled with Jesusness, His grace, His power, His presence. Listen to the Apostle Paul as we close. Philippians chapter 3. He had all kinds of reasons to brag, and he's just pointed this out, but he says, verse 7, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And that last phrase helps us to notice an incredibly important detail in the parable when Paul says, that I may gain Christ, because nowhere in the parable is it even implied that Jesus is asking of his followers, his disciples, to make an incredible sacrifice, at least in the sense of the word that we understand. Um, The detail that we can't miss is, is this, that the treasure finder went away in joy. He didn't wait for uh, the, the, the house closing, the land closing deal to be finalized and where he got the keys and then he was joyful because he's got it. He possesses it. It can't be taken away. He discovered the treasure and he went away in joy. Why? Because his heart knew what it wanted. He was finally able to answer the question that Jesus asked, what do you want? And answer it in, with perfect wisdom and insight. He knew that it would be all satisfied. Augustine, uh, once again in his confessions, expressed this in prayer form to God. You have made us for yourself, and our, hearts, our heart is restless until it rests in you. Your heart was made to rest in the love of Christ. How do you find that rest? throw off self-seeking glory habits last week and realize that there is only one who is most glorious, Jesus Himself. Examine your life to see what you really love. And when you realize how much stuff and circumstance and people cannot bear up under the weight that you attribute to it, don't have glory inherently, can't satisfy Uh, and return the love that you are expressing towards it or them. They're not weighty of longest lasting value. Then hear Jesus asking you, what do you want? And respond with faith. I want you, Jesus. You have all that I need. You are all that I need. Some of you have done that and you're followers of Jesus. Others of you are not quite sure. Perhaps because you don't see the self glory-seeking habits that rule your life, perhaps because you don't see that what your heart longs for can never satisfy you. Realize today from the truth of God's Word and ask His Spirit to make this clear to you that Jesus is all you need, that He alone satisfies. He is the fulfillment of every heart's desire. And then, whether you are brand new Christian or a long-time follower of Christ, then this is lifelong follow-through. And yes, we call it discipleship. Join in with a, a community of faith, a church. Some of you are, are at end of the summer, early um, start of the, the new year, September sort of our new year, you know, with uh, back-to-school season. Some of you are not sure, is this a church home for me? Is this a place where I can learn about God, grow in my faith in Jesus? Whether it's here or another biblical church where Jesus is proclaimed, commit to a church. Find a community of rescued sinners so that through worship, through uh, biblical friendship, through the means of grace God provides in the Bible, in prayer, in the sacraments, in, in many other aspects of the, of the life of the church, so that your heart can be reoriented, 
so that the affections of your heart, your loves, your longings can be redirected to the one who displays love divine, all loves excelling. His name is Jesus. Let's pray to Him now. Lord Jesus, Your love is beyond compare. Your love is what we need to purely delight in. Your love is self-sacrificial, life-giving, and all-satisfying. Show it to us more and more clearly, we pray. Amen.